welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome back to After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Academy. We take time to dive deep into the world of education and bring you valuable insights. This series will focus on the SEND Code of Practice, and we're really excited to get stuck into some great discussions about this crucial piece of legislation. I'm your host, Georgie McIntyre, Managing Director here at Connects Academy, and today we're going to explore an introduction to the Code of Practice. In this episode, we discuss what the key principles of the SEND Code of Practice are, examining the implications of Chapter 1 on the practice of SENCOs, teachers, school leaders and teaching assistants. Joining me are two of our regular guests who are experts in the field of special educational needs. Andy Bridge, a secondary deputy head teacher and qualified SENCO, and Debbie Davis also joins us, a primary head teacher. So we're going to get started. What are the key principles of the SEN Code of Practice? Great to have you here with us again, Debbie. Hi, Georgie. Hi, Andy. Uh, Thanks thanks for having me. Yes, the the SEN Code of Practice is built upon a set of key principles that, that guide the provision of special educational needs support, as we know. And these principles are outlined in Chapter 1 of the of the actual code. And one of the primary principles is that children and young people with with special educational needs should have their needs met through high quality provision that is inclusive and promotes their well-being. You'll find the word inclusive popping up quite a lot across this series of podcasts, which is which is really everything that we we, we want to achieve, really. So that's the first the first one. the The primary principles are about that. Yeah, absolutely, Debbie. And I'd add another really key principle is that children and young people with SEN should be actively involved in the decisions regarding their education. So, um, you know, according to the Code of Practice, children shouldn't be passive in this process. They, they should have a say, they should have their voices heard about what their needs are and how they can best be supported. And that's really important that, that we take their views into account. Um, and, and as we said in the previous episode, we, we promote what's called a person-centred approach, um, ensuring that the needs and the preferences of the individual, but also the parents, the families, the carers are at the forefront of decision making. Um, and one thing that is really clear in the code is that we, we as professionals need to try and be as efficient as we can um, and adopt what we call a tell us once approach. So the, the lived experience of a lot of parents and carers was that if their child had SEN and they were working with a lot of agencies and a lot of different professionals, they were time and time again having to repeat the same information, have the same discussions with five, six, seven, eight different practitioners. And actually the idea of the code of practice is that everything to do with that child's education and healthcare need should be coordinated centrally. All that information should be shared between the professionals so that it's as straightforward for the parents and carers to navigate um, and, and remove a lot of that stress and anxiety and worry and time that, that I imagine if you've got a child with quite significant SEN needs, that's exhausting. So we should be able to make that as straightforward and easy as possible for the parents. It, it sounds it sounds really straightforward, doesn't it? It's, it sounds really obvious that there should be one area that you just 
tell them once and that information is handed over. But um, it's great to hear that that's now sort of being introduced. And it's clear that the principles of the SEN Code of Practice emphasise the importance of inclusivity and involving students in their educational journey is key. How do these principles impact the practice of SENCOs, teachers, school leaders and teaching assistants then, Andy? Um, so I start with SENCOs, really their role is, is vital um, in implementing the, the principles of the code. They're responsible for coordinating the provision, as you would expect with the name SENCO, um, SEN coordinator, but actually sometimes think that that term coordinator doesn't quite capture everything that they do because it's it's leadership it's not just coordination they're absolutely leading that provision um within schools and that coordination between the agencies and and the principals guide their work in ensuring that the students are identified their needs are identified that we get the appropriate support provided that we monitor their progress that we review it that we involve the parents the child the other agencies so this for me the senko's role is is just so important in a school um, and and that code of practice really does guide their work it, it is and you know teachers also play a crucial role in putting the principles into practice and they're responsible for adapting their teaching approaches and materials to meet all these diverse needs of the students and the principles of inclusion and person-centeredness guides teachers in creating inclusive classrooms and using adaptive teaching to meet the needs of, of all their students. In, in some uh, instances, you, you may find, regrettably, that some professionals might think that, that SEND is not their business, it's not for them, it, you know, that it's not what they need to do, but actually we are all teachers of children with special educational needs we all play a role and the, the SENCO coordinates that so we work as, as a, a mechanism in its entirety. It's It feels to me like the emphasis on, on SEND code of practice and SEND support should be almost as or as important as the safeguarding training that everyone receives and it should be dealt with in that kind of uh, level of, of commitment. It's really interesting to hear you sort of talking about like SENCOs and teachers and, and their priorities. There's also obviously other individuals that work within the classroom. So for example, what, what are the key implications for teaching assistants, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. I'll just go back actually to what you just said there about the importance of that training kind of being um, you know, as paramount as safeguarding training. And I think it is because, um, you know, children with SEN are the, they're the most vulnerable children in our school. So we, we absolutely need to take that training seriously and have all staff feel fully equipped um, to support those children in the best way that they can. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Um, in terms of teaching assistance, one of the things that we mentioned earlier was um, this principle in the Code of Practice that children's voices must be heard, that they, they shouldn't be passive. They shouldn't just have their support provided to them or done to them they they need a role and, and have their voices heard and um actually teaching assistance can be crucial with that so you know you might have a senko that is in a school with three four hundred children with sen they they can't personally know every single one of those children in great depth whereas the teaching assistant is the one that is sitting alongside them in the classroom that's supporting them that sees them day in day out um, so the teaching assistant can be such a great resource for being an advocate for the, for the child and, and helping them to voice their views and to voice their concerns and voice their opinions. And 
Um, it's something that in some schools we're, we're so busy that that aspect can be overlooked. It can be a bit rushed, a bit of a tick box exercise or get the child to fill in this form so we can say we've heard their voices. But actually the, the teaching assistant, if they're given the capacity and the time and the space, can do a, a really important professional role there in supporting the child to ensure that they feel they've got the agency. Andy and Georgie, can I just come in there? Because we did um, do a full series on, on teaching assistants and how they can function to the best of their ability within the classroom situation. I just thought I'd bring that in because it just ties in lovely with what, with what you've just said, Andy. Absolutely. Thank you, Debbie, as well. Yeah, we, we have a whole series on uh, teaching assistant support and I know we talk about the SEN piece within that. And, and teaching assistants, you, you, you have to understand that they can be real advocates for the students and, and make sure that their views are taken on board and they they can speak out for them and be a representative. It, it's clear that the principles of the SEN Code of Practice are relevant to lots of different stakeholders within the education system, um, particularly as we know that we do have such a range of professionals in different roles when we listen to this podcast and we focus on different areas. Are there any specific implications from chapter one of the code that we should be aware of, Debbie? Um, well, chapter one of the code provides a really comprehensive overview of the key principles and their, and their implications. And one important implication is the need for collaboration and partnership uh, between all institutions that, that support that child. So schools are encouraged to work cl really closely with a variety of stakeholders, parents, carers, etc., and relevant professionals to ensure that the support that is provided is coordinated and effective. And that comes back to, you know, tell, tell us once um, that everyone knows and understands what, what that child is experiencing and what they need. And there's a danger that schools see themselves as the expert and they tell parents what support will be provided for the child, but actually, a better way of viewing it is that schools are experts in education, parents are experts in their with, with their actual child, and so they understand the needs of their child entirely. And we, we need a true partnership between school, parents, carers, and other stakeholders. So we absolutely know that child and we can make a plan that's befitting that will actually make a massive impact and ensure that their life and their learning is really, really solid. Andy, do you want to come in on, on Debbie's uh, comments? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I don't agree with everything she said there. And I think another um, implication of chapter one is the importance of early identification and intervention. And, and we know that if you get support in place for a child at an early stage, the difference that that can make to their future um, educational success and outcomes is absolutely huge. And, and often getting that early intervention in place, it, it prevents difficulties from escalating. Um, it almost nips some needs in the buds and it sets the child on the right path with the right support. Um, and it, it sets them up well for succeeding in the future. And we'll, we'll talk about it a lot more in future episodes, but a key aspect of that is called the graduated approach. Um, so as I said, we're, We'll go through the, the four stages of that graduated approach in the future episodes, but getting in there early, being really thorough with observations of children right down, you know, to the age of one, two in the in the early years foundation stage 
um, so that if there are any emerging needs that we start to become aware of, we swoop in and we intervene at that early stage is just such an important implication of chapter one of the code. It's really feeling like the same code of practice is setting the foundation for inclusive and effective support for students with SEN. I think, you know, if we can also take the approach that parents are experts in their children, so we need to make sure there's a partnership between the schools and the parents and carers and guardians for the students to really thrive. And, and as we wrap up, do, do either of you have any final thoughts or key takeaways regarding the key principles that underpin the code? I mean, I, I would just say, um, I agree with what you said there, it's this foundation for, for inclusion. And, and if we follow this framework, which we've got a, a legal responsibility to do so, then we can create a really inclusive, supportive educational environment. And, and if we embrace those principles, we can ensure that every student, regardless of their needs, regardless of what barriers to learning they might have or other difficulties that they face, we're going to give them equal opportunities to thrive and reach their potential. And ultimately, that's what all of us are working hard to do. Um, and the code of practice just gives us the mechanisms to achieve that. And I think I think, Andy, that, that sums it up really well. And, and for me, when I read the code of practice or when I have read it and referred back to it numerous times, it just reminds me always that the, the student is completely unique and that they deserve an education that, that meets their individual needs. And that's what it's all about, that individual child and the provision that we can give to make sure that they flourish. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a great point to end on is remaining sort of person student centred and allowing these students the opportunity to flourish and thrive. Um, we all need to be raising awareness of SEN code of practice and making sure as, as educators that we commit to understand what our responsibilities are um, to support children with, with SEND. And also, I think what will be great is if we carry on unpicking some of these elements of the code of practice. So in next week's podcast, we will be focusing on impartial information, advice and support for families because often they're left outside of the loop. And it's really key to to cover those and make sure that the parents feel part of the journey with their with their child at the same time. You can pick up the After the Bell podcast that were released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. You can access this on your daily commute, if you're walking the dog or as your focus for the day. Thank you again for listening to After the Bell.